0: The Al-Anon program provides so many tools. There are slogans and steps and new ways of approaching life's troubles. Which ones do you use comfortably? Are there any you wish you had used but didn't remember to pick them up? Welcome to episode 308 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Paula Jean, Carolyn, Anastasia, Penelope, and Stephanie. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Paula Jean, Carolyn, Anastasia, Penelope, and Stephanie for your generous contributions. This episode is for you.
1: We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery.
2: Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12 step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life.
0: My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today are Mary Lou, Pat, and Kelly, and welcome to the studio. Kelly, you have a reading for us.
3: Yes. This is from January 4th, Courage to Change. When I first found Alan, I was desperate and lonely I yearned for the serenity that others in the meetings so obviously possessed. When members shared about the tools that had worked for them, I paid close attention. Here's what I heard. Go to meetings and share when you can. Work all the steps, but not at once. Start with step one. Get a sponsor. Read some Al-Anon literature every day. Use the phone to reach out between meetings. Gradually, I took each of these suggestions and began to see real changes in my life. I began to believe my life could amount to more than a string of painful days to be survived. Now I had resources that helped me to deal with even the most difficult situations. I came to see that, with the help of my higher power, I could handle anything that came to pass and even grow as I did so. In time, the tools and principles of the program helped me gain the serenity I had long desired. Today's reminder... Al-Anon gives me tools I can use to achieve many goals, including serenity, sanity, and detachment with love. And Al-Anon members who share their experience, strength, and hope show me how to put these tools to work in my life. And the quote, Daily vigilance will turn out to be a small price to pay for my
0: peace of mind. From the Dilemma of an Alcoholic Marriage. Thank you. Thank you for reading that. I'm going to start with with introductions, if you just uh, briefly introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Mary Lou. I've been coming to Al-Anon for a little bit over eight years. Hi, I'm Pat. I've been coming to Al-Anon for a little under four years. Hi, I'm Kelly, grateful Al-Anon member for two years.
0: Kelly, I'd like to to start with you if you can talk about tools that you're using in your life today.
3: Um, I think uh, the biggest tool that I'm using in my life today is, um, I don't know if it's an official slogan, but it's on our slogan sheet at our meeting and it goes like this. It says, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is what I feel, and this is what I'll do. And I love that because for me, it in any situation that I'm in or when I'm feeling very triggered or reacted by something, I can pull that out and it instantly grounds me to where I am at that moment, the reality. This is the reality of what's happening. This is what I'm feeling. And and what do I need from this? And what do I want to get from this? And then it gives me an action as in what, I, what I'm what i going to do. And that works for me almost every time. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to have the perfect answer and, and that's never what I'm looking for. But what it does is it allows me to just take that al breath, that pause that I need to not get to give that first bad response, that first knee-jerk reaction, but to really give myself that space to do the, the, the best that I can at that moment in time. So that's that's really, for me, for the last couple months, as I've been working on um, Step 5 and 6, has
1: really been helpful for me.
0: Thanks. How about you, Pat?
1: Well, I need a lot of work to stay on the beam, so I break it down into 24-hour segments. So I start my day uh, with prayer, And then I have a lot of the literature, and I have a handful of literature that I read through in the morning before I'm off to work or whatever I'm doing for the day. Around late afternoon, I find that meditation has really helped me, so I'll sit down and meditate for 20 minutes, and that's really helpful. I listen to the recovery show in between meetings. I try to get to a meeting regularly. I call my sponsor. I work the steps. And fellowship, I find, is very helpful. Meeting with fellow members after the meeting, uh, talking beforehand, it really helps me to be around people that are going through the same thing that I'm going through. I do rely on the slogans quite a bit. They pop into my head from time to time. Specifically, live and let live and let go and let God are very helpful to me.
2: All right. Thank you. Mary Lou. So I'm going to be the voice for all the tools that I didn't want to use. When I first came into Al-Anon, I was very angry, very res- resentful that I felt that I, that I had to be in those meetings. I felt like my family members should be there. If I'm being really honest, I don't know that there was a single tool that was ever introduced to me where I was like, woo, let me use that tool. My first reaction was, I-, I don't even understand how this, any of this works. When I first started going to meetings, I felt better in meetings. My son was in high school. You know, people were asking, you know, very benign questions like, oh, you must be looking at colleges. And it was like, no, we're looking at rehab. Like, no, we're not, you know, like college. Like, oh my God, that seemed like 10 million miles, like in another glacial age or something. I kind of went silent, I think, because I couldn't really talk about that. Or at least I felt like I couldn't talk about it without crying, which didn't seem appropriate for the workplace. Again, these people were not asking me these questions to be mean. It was just like conversation like small talk even but I couldn't talk about it and so I just started saying nothing and then when I finally went to the, my first meeting I couldn't understand what was happening I I like I said I I didn't feel better in meetings or I guess I felt maybe 10% better in meetings than I felt when I was outside and I couldn't understand why I even felt better I guess that was partly why I kept coming back plus I was just I felt very desperate I felt like I had actually gone past every single coping mechanism that I had to deal with my son's problem. I grew up in an alcoholic family, but it was a big shock to me, just a huge shock to me that when my son started having problems, which, you know, in retrospect, I have no idea why I was so shocked. Um, I sometimes describe that my family is like the Romanovs of alcoholism. There's literally generations. We filled up three blackboards um, once with a counselor, of all of the alcoholics, and it's like you know it, like you know this person drinks, you know that person drinks, you know this person died early, whatever, but seeing it in black and white, it was really overwhelming. And at that time, I think I went to a couple of adult children of alcoholics meetings, and I couldn't really relate to the people, and so I just thought, well, that's you know, no point in doing anything like that. That's just a waste of time. But ironically enough, I had kind of strongly encouraged my nephew, my, my alcoholic sister's son, to go to Alateen, not for me, but I kind of got him to go. At the time, I had been to this church retreat, and we were talking about coping mechanisms. The, the topic was letting go, And I had listed all the things that I was doing, and I could see from the people looking at me like they felt bad for me. like you know, And I realized after I left that retreat, like, oh, I've, like, I've exhausted all my coping mechanisms for the situation that I'm in. And so I, I kind of felt sentenced to go to the meetings. Like it mm. wasn't like I was doing it like, woo, willingly. Sometimes I hear people, their family members gone to treatment and the counselor says, Oh, you should go to an Al-Anon meeting and they and then they just come. Like for me I felt like I had spent my entire life resisting going to an Al-Anon meeting. Or I I don't even I I I wanted my family members to go to AA meetings and maybe then I might have been willing to come like I I, I don't know how I thought it was supposed to go, but there was no way that I was the one who was supposed to go first. I couldn't see the effect that growing up in an alcoholic family, I, I had denied the effect of that my whole life. It was really interesting last night being in that meeting that we were in because there was so much anger. I don't feel like that anymore, but I can definitely remember a time, you know, I, I think I was just always on the edge. Uh, I just felt like I'd been carrying my entire family like my entire life and was just tired of it and was really annoyed kind of martyrdom slash having to do it all and, you know, like being able to do it with one hand tied behind my back kind of thing, but still resentful that, that I was having to do it at all. And so I, I think I went to Elanon anon for three years before I really got a sponsor. And then I I didn't want to talk to my sponsor. I th- I think I thought it was like a box that you sort of had to check to get one. I wasn't really sure what, you know, you would do with them. And then I eventually did start to worked the steps. I had a lot of trepidation about that. You know, it's interesting. I, I think every single uh, thing that's been introduced to me, my first thought was, "No way, am I ever doing that?" And now I feel like, "Woohoo!" Like I'm doing a lot of them. Like it's really shocking to me. We were laughing when we were first starting because Spencer suggested that we should have a song list, and someone said, "If I have a hammer, <laughs> if I had a hammer." And I do think, like I grew up in a family of people who had hammers. That's what we had. That was our tool, and. You know, I, it's it's interesting because I can now have conversations with my grown son. There's no screwdriver situation that's ever been made better by bringing hammer to it. It usually gets worse. And for me, my first thought is always, "Where's my hammer?" And then I gotta like in my Allen on tool chest. I sometimes have to go down two or three levels of tools, like take the whole thing apart and take everything else out. It's like, where, there must be some serenity in here somewhere. <laughs> where do I have to go to get it? I think that idea of the pause, just to be able to, to, to have that moment, just that moment. You know, I was listening to a meditation the other day. I, I do meditation now. They were talking about how, you know, you're not your thoughts. Just this recollect, this idea that you're not your thoughts. And that space of just recognizing, like here, cause my sponsor will say, you're not really responsible for your first thought, but it's the it's the, what you do after that first thought. So I still have that first thought. I, I think I will always have that first thought. But the second thought does come more quickly now, and it's, oh, what do I want to do? Like, I recognize this situation, and I know exactly where I would go with this, the way that I always went. But it's like, yeah, I can ask myself now, hmm. Is there any serenity down at the end of that road? Like, I don't think so. Like, I mean, I sometimes I even make myself put a percentage likelihood. Is it 10% likely that there's serenity down that road? And if it's not even 50-50, I can say to myself, like, that is just... (laughs) So Pat had given me this quote, and it was about a monkey who was trying to save fish by taking it and putting them up in trees, which, of course, (laughs) you know, like... The, the quote about that is, it's kind of like, there's no way that you can save a fish from drowning by putting it in a tree. Every single time you do it, they die. Like, and it's, and so I, again, as a researcher, I have to ask myself, like, what's, what's the evidence that this tool will actually work? And, and, and the answer is zero. Like, it's never worked before. Why do I think it's going to work now? So I think for me, in a, in a sense, the best tool that I have from the program is, is to the ability to pause and just think. What's going to happen now? Like, here's what I know. Here's what I would do. <laughs> See, I don't say I don't say to myself, "What do I want? What do I need?" I just say, "Like, here's what I would have done, and then here's what I would have got, <laughs> and then do I want that?" In, in this sense, I feel very much like the alcoholic. Like it's, you know, like somebody said. In fact, I was re- I was listening to a James Taylor interview on the way before we came up, and. He was saying like an addict is like Groundhog Day, like you know what exactly the day you're gonna you're gonna have the same day over and over, and that's the goal is to have the same day over and over and over again, like it's 100% predictable. You're getting rid of, you've engineered the uncertainty out of the situation, right? And for me, it's like it's like I can engineer this so that it just goes badly and I end up with resentment. So how can I, you know, and 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 the the horrible thing about Helena is you have to do something different if you want something different to happen. like I hate that. like like why that sucks? Like why do I have, why can't why can't it be different? but that's that's I think, you know, so every one of these tools I've had to look at them, look at them again, look at them again. could I possibly? like acceptance. Oh my gosh, acceptance felt like capitulating, I think, you know, in some way that if you accepted what was happening then somehow you're responsible for it and complicit in it. And now I can just think, like, you know, like I can't do anything about the thing flying over the stadium, and I can't, like, there's so many things. I guess that's the uncertainty, right? That just to recognize there's so many things I'm not in control of. And guess what? It's actually better that I'm not, right?
0: No kidding, no kidding. I know that y'all had to deal with something uncontrollable this morning, which was the traffic on the way into Ann Arbor because of the football game today. I wonder what what tools you might have used during that drive, uh, Pat.
1: Well, just thinking again of, you know, let go and let God, I, I didn't have control over the magnitude of the traffic for the game. I had no idea. We had planned to get to the meeting on time. We left on the early side thinking we had enough time. We wound up having a great meeting in the car, which resulted in us getting lost a few times. (laughs) Um. But I don't have as much anxiety as I used to have before coming to program when things don't turn out the way that I want them to turn out. Um, I used to think that I had a lot of control over uh, whether or not my kids were going to be alcoholic. I was raised in an alcoholic family. And I wasn't convinced, even though I'm a double winner myself, that it's hereditary. I was hoping against all odds that I had some control over the way my kids were going to turn out if I just did things differently. It didn't really work out that way. They are who they are. I didn't save my son, who's had to drop out of college his uh, senior year. He was doing quite well up until just a couple of years ago. So I realized how little control I have over people, places and things. And like Mary Lou said, you know, it's probably better that I'm not in in control or in charge of everything because I think there's a plan that's bigger than mine and I can't see it all. I have a very limited view. So that's really helping me lean into the program and just let go, which has been so hard for me to do. But I'm getting a little bit better at it.
0: Kelly, how was the car ride for you this morning? You were not in control of even the car. Was that liberating or did that make you more anxious? Well,
3: traffic doesn't normally make me anxious, okay. but I, but no, so I was pretty cool with that. But I'd have to say what slogan pops in mind is progress, not perfection, okay. because we were progressing down that road. It was slow and steady. We were progressing. We did get to our meeting, we were late. I guess that probably made me a little uncomfortable walking in late and clunking around the chairs. But it was, you know, it was really nice hearing uh, the last couple of shares we got to share. And, you know, it all worked out in the end and, and it wasn't perfect, but uh, we got to where we needed to be. So that's how that's what came to
0: my mind.
2: Mary Lou, you want to add anything? Well, I, I was asking myself even last night because the, the time changed between where we live and coming up here. The time was shorter than we had anticipated. So it was like, hurry up and eat and then hurry up and go to a meeting and then hurry up and go to bed and then get up this morning when my alarm went off. I thought, who planned this trip? Because I just, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't had enough sleep. And then we hurried up to get to get to the meeting. <laughs> Who did we were... <laughs> plan this trip, Mary Lou? <laughs> and we, I'm the one. We all we all planned it together, and yet here we go. The best laid plans. I think I would have in a, in the past been way more perfectionistic about it, and yet I got to that meeting and I heard exactly both mm-hmm. last last night and this morning. Heard exactly what I felt like I needed to hear, and so I think there's a yeah that sense of being looked out for, of being held. Obviously, it wasn't as if we had some sort of like Cinderella kind of situation going, that if we didn't hurry up and get there, our carriage was going to poof, go away or whatever. So
0: That helps reduce the anxiety a little Mm -hmm. bit, too. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about one tool that I've had to use over and over in the last couple of weeks, and that's acceptance, understanding reality. And the thing that I have heard in meetings about acceptance is acceptance is not condoning. So I can accept that something is happening, even if I don't like it, even if I don't think it should be happening. There's some things this morning that uh, you mentioned, the uh, airplanes flying overhead, and and they may show up in the recording, because I my house is not perfectly soundproof, right? There is traffic outside, there are people honking horns, they may show up. So listening, you might hear these things. My dog is in the room, because if he's not in the room, he'll bark and, and, and howl and... That's even more distracting than, you know, him chewing on his bones or his ears flopping when he shakes. I could be all like, oh, noises, and and it's not going to be perfect. Well, it's not going to be perfect, right? And that's okay. That is absolutely okay. We talked a little earlier about the phone. The phone is a tool that we're often encouraged to use and may be difficult sometimes for us to use. Who'd like to uh, start by talking about your use or lack of use or difficulty of use of the phone as a tool?
3: Oh, God, everybody's looking at me, so I guess I'll start. (laughs) I would say definitely for me, out of all the tools, the, the one that is not really in my toolbox and probably should be is calling somebody or using the phone. My disclaimer to that will be, I'm not a big phone person. I'm not a phone doodler. I'd rather do face to face meetings with people. So I do meet with my sponsor regularly. I do attend meetings. So I do talk to people, but there's just something about for me. And, you know, I know what it is. I feel like, Oh, I'm going to bother that person. Or, or once I get on the phone, it's like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, burden somebody with that. But that's, The whole idea, right? The whole idea is to use that phone when you're feeling something. It was kind of funny the other day. Pat had called me (laughs) to ask me something. So we talked with Pat's concern. And then it's like, well, while I got you on the phone, so I was (laughs) able to talk to Pat then. So it was very nice. And And after I hung up, well, and I know Pat too, so it made it, you know, more comfortable and easy, and I think for me that's it too. Although I know a lot of people in the program, I tend to kind of call or you know talk to people that i really know well. So is that a trust thing? I'm you know that's something I have to figure out. But it was kind of funny because it felt really good talking to Pat on the phone. So it's not something that I use regularly. Probably should. But, uh, you know, it's, I have other tools and I feel that those work for me. So I don't know. Is it, there are no musts in Al Anon. So uh, I've got quite a of other, you know, good tools in my toolbox. So I feel good about that.
0: We don't tell you what to do. We just make suggestions.
3: That's
2: right. <laughs> you are invited.
0: <laughs> Anybody else?
2: When I first came into Al Anon, I heard a story, a lead at a meeting where a woman was describing a situation in which she, Her kids had kind of torn up the house, and she was very angry and upset, and she she had grown up in a house with very harsh discipline, an alcoholic home with harsh discipline, and she decided that she didn't want to do that, and so she shut herself in her bedroom, and she put her back up against the door, and then she just kind of started going down the phone list, and as she's telling this story in the meeting, she's sort of berating herself that she doesn't know, you know, what to do, that she should have had a better idea of how to discipline her children in a way that didn't involve, you know, hitting. I just remember listening to the story and it was so meaningful to me just the idea that a person could stop what you know this process of like going from being angry to you know doing something that you don't necessarily want to do, that you don't even believe in and then calling someone. The story went that she never actually even got a hold of anyone, but the process of just S- slowing herself down to go down the, the, the phone list to call people. I just thought, as a parent, if, if my son was willing to call a friend when he had a problem, that I thought my life would, uh, my, my, my job here would be done as a parent. <laughs> and so, you know, this is another, you know, spiritual awakening thought in Al-Anon. And I thought, well, and where would he have ever learned that? Not for me. I was not a person who would ever, accept, you know, I never needed help. Fine, fine, fine. Didn't want to reach out for help. Yeah, and certainly wouldn't have called a stranger on the phone. I still feel more reluctant. I'd rather go to a meeting than call someone on the phone. And yet I I listen to people in meetings. You know, Pat sponsor talks about calling people all the time every day, and it seems like it's really working for her. And I do say to myself, I sh I should do that. It's obviously working for her, but um I'm still more reluctant to do that.
1: Pen, any thoughts? Yeah, that is not a tool that I remember to use. I think I've called two people, Kelly being one, (laughs) and then another gal when I was in a crisis situation. I call my sponsor all the time, which is really good for me. Uh, She's always answered the phone. I don't think it's ever gone to voicemail, but I do need to reach out more, especially when I'm in a crisis and talk to another another member of
0: Al-Anon. I've gone through phases. There was a time... When I was calling people on a very regular basis, and I had, there were probably four or five people that were sort of on my, when I'm feeling whatever the people that I might call, you know, one of them's my sponsor. I remember, I don't know if it was the first time I called my sponsor, but my wife had come home from treatment and I felt that she was eating too much ice cream. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Let
0: me rephrase that. I knew. (laughs) She was eating too much ice cream. Okay. And I lovingly, uh, air quotes, mentioned this to her, my concern about, you know, that eating a whole quart of ice cream was not normal or something. And she said, call your sponsor. (laughs)
2: Lovingly. (laughs) Lovingly, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I called my sponsor, and my sponsor said, you said what you said. Now shut up. Which is, you know, typical sponsor advice, right? But I think that might be the first time. It's gotten more difficult for me as a phone call recipient because of all of the the spam phone calls that I get. I kind of have a practice of, of not answering my phone if I don't recognize the number. And so if somebody from a meeting wants to call me, they're going to get my voicemail. And they might not want to leave a voicemail. And, and I you know, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but I get, you know, a half a dozen calls a day from somebody who wants to fix my credit or buy my house or sell me a house. I don't even know what. Or Chinese. I have no idea what they're saying. You know, they're, they're trying to spam me in Chinese. And for my peace of mind, I have decided that I don't answer the phone when I don't know who it is. And if it's somebody who really wants to talk to me, they'll leave a message in it. And I know that's not necessarily true of somebody from the program calling, but that's a boundary I had to set because it was driving me crazy. I'm a little bit ADD. And so when the phone buzzes, it just knocks me out of whatever flow I'm in. And so I actually am using now a feature of, of the iPhone that will not ring if the number's not in my Contacts list, it will just go straight to voicemail. I think one of you might have run into that one last night, so it doesn't interrupt me, and I feel so much more peaceful.
2: Mm-hmm. I ask people to text me if they want, yes. and if they can yes. say I w- I would rather talk. That mm-hmm. I think that's okay too. Yeah, it's, it, I, I think that Al-Anon hasn't completely evolved for the digital age as far as you know, like like groups on Facebook. I mean, that's a tool. You know, some some of the people have come to meetings, you know, with a very anti-technology bias of like. They're not really confidential if they're, or they're not really anonymous if they're on Facebook. And I'm like, if some young person, or I shouldn't say young person, I mean, there's a lot of old people on Facebook too, but I mean, if some person get onto Facebook and get some serenity, like, as far as I'm concerned, good for them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For sure.
2: I don't know. I think some people are more concerned about the anonymity
0: aspect. And I have to respect that.
2: Mm hmm. But I would like to have all the books. I would like to have a Kindle version of all of the al books. I think it would make my life easier to just have access to the, those books at any moment. Any moment, anywhere, anytime, yeah. Yeah, I think there's just an evolutionary process that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: there's a tool that, that I use. I have the books that are available, which I think there are three now that are available on Kindle, uh, plus a bunch of AA literature.
2: Free. The big book mm-hmm. is free. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> one of the editions anyway. You know, that way... I can pick up my phone, it's on my phone, if I need to you know, do a reading or something, it's right there. That's a tool that I don't have to carry around the book, or I don't have to say, oh, I'll try to remember to look at this when I get home, because I don't need it when I get home, I need it now, right?
2: You know, and it's interesting too, because I I like, I really wanted, to, after I was in al for a while, I really wanted to have a daily meditation practice. So, I decided that it would be helpful to use technology um to do that. So I've guided meditations on my phone. And, you know, they're short, so three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, longer ones. And so if I'm like dropping off or picking up, or I just have a few minutes, uh, instead of just, you know, checking something else, I can sometimes do like a two or three minute meditation. And sometimes that can really be helpful for me or listen. I mean, I obviously, you know, started listening to recovery show. Not only when I was traveling, but then also sometimes when I'm doing housework, if I'm just kind of in a funky mood, it helps me to be able to listen to someone else give a talk, and it just helps me to kind of get out of that place. It gets me out of my own head, I think.
0: Can um, I ask, are you using a meditation app on your phone? And, and I am. What is it?
2: So there's a free, I'm big on free.
0: Yeah, oh, free <laughs> is good.
2: Um, I can actually put the, if you want, you can put the link on your, um, on your website. Absolutely. There's a, there's, there's a, an app called Sounds True and the, um, and the there's a thing called, Kelly actually introduced me to this. It's Mindfulness Daily and it's by Jack Hornfield and Tara Brock. Oh. Okay. It's a really good. And one. so it's what I like about it. And I feel like this is really compatible with Al Anon. So there's, there, it's a 10 minute meditation. The first two or three minutes is about, really about kind of the brain science of like, Why we're all so crazy? Like how how it is that this addiction thing affects us and can push us into this fight or flight response? um, Really, like completely bypassing our our cognitive part of our brain, right? So that we're sort of in that crazy place, that that fight or flight response of like the woolly mammoth is coming. Oh my god, we have to do everything to like save ourselves and to just. For me, it's been helpful that again that that science that brain science part of it has been has made this much more accessible to me. As a scientist, all of this stuff I do in Al-Anon just seemed like the woo-woo crap. I just could not... The re, I mean, it was so crazy to me. All of these things that people talked about, I just thought, like, I am never doing that. Like, pigs are going to fly before I'm ever doing any of that stuff. And, and I feel like I'm doing a lot of it now. And I'm not, you know, don't diss the woo-woo. But I... I think that this it's made it accessible to me, and I think that there's enough kind of Buddhist thinking in some of this stuff around. You know, we're all going to die. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, just to be able to say to myself, I'm I'm in a, I'm in a place of uncertainty right now, and and, and can I be a, can I accept that? Can mm-hmm. I accept that I'm in a place of uncertainty today, not for the rest of my life, but between now and when I go to bed? What can I do to take care of myself? so that so that i don't have to feel like this that the, the place that i know how to go to that my, my meditation teacher called it that well-worn neural pathway of like oh my god i should do this and da-da-da, and this is going to happen and that bad thing is going to happen and then you know oh my god like and just being stop
0: able being able to flip the switch to get out of that circle
2: absolutely it and just say to say takes practice right I'm, a, I'm in uncertainty it is literally a practice and you know i there's a guy my my church they have this meditation thing. It's really a big deal and he they do a lot of other stuff. I have two goals for meditation and they're not high goals. I, I call them stretch goals. So the first goal is can I stay in the room at least half of the time?
0: Now by stay in the room what do you like mean? Like not
2: thinking about I got to do this, I've got to do that. I've got like the next thing, the next thing that like like I just be with the feeling that I'm having. Like I'm having this feeling can i just stay with it or stay you know as close to it as i can for you know the 15 minutes or whatever and then the second one is do i feel better when i finish than when i started now that's not always true sometimes i i kind of check in on myself and it's like ooh my like, things are not good today and then i just have to say like okay well that's where you are again how can i take care of myself today given that that's where i am with things um can i just be a little more gentle with myself can i not like, oh, I have to pick this thing up and carry it on my back for like the next 10 miles on my own? You know, could I just say, hmm, having a hard time, stay in tonight, read a book, do something nice, talk to a friend, eat something I like, you know, just something, you know, simpler. Um, And I don't, and and, and I would not say that I reach those goals all the time. Uh, that's why I call them stretch goals, but I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with the fact that I'm those are those are reasonable goals for me for right now, for where I am with meditation.
0: Pat, do you have a, a meditation practice?
1: I do. mine is goes way, way back. I actually went to a meditation seminar weekend back in nineteen ninety at the Himalayan Institute. I just do a, a basic mantra, and it's so on the inhale, and it's hum on the exhale. And when a thought pops into my head, I try to recognize that thought and then go back to concentrating on my breathing. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty basic. I have done guided meditations, and those are wonderful. I like when somebody else is guiding it. I'm not very good at um, doing it myself, so I just focus on the breath, and that seems to really help me. It was hard at first to gauge how much it was helping me because I was doing it every day. And a few weeks ago, I missed two days in a row. And I noticed that I was getting really irritable and grouchy. I thought, oh, I haven't meditated. So I meditated and I felt better. It actually, in the last year, because I've been doing it daily for the last year, and it's actually reduced my blood pressure. So I know there's a lot of science behind it and the changes in the brain that occur from doing it. But for me, it's just for selfish reasons. It's usually, you know, like I would mentioned earlier, at the end of the day, when I'm starting to feel anxious, when I've been out there in the real world and starting to focus on my qualifier and the uncertainty of his situation, just doing that for 20 minutes, really, it just like resets my my whole thinking.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Kelly, how about you? Do you, do you meditate?
1: Um, I do. And I, I
3: meditate at a, at a kind of a funny place. I meditate at work. I mean, I have my own office, which is a lot of windows and a lot of light and two chairs in there. And I find that when I first come into work in the morning, it's the best time for me to do that. I know that may sound kind of bizarre, but it's, it works for me. You know, I too, I, uh, I'll do an, something from the insight timer or mindfulness or sounds true. There's always a, a bunch of good free meditations on there. And it can be, you know, like the uh, like Mary Lou and Pat was saying, it can be a, a short little meditation. And for me, it is also followed by a little prayer. I love Anne Ann Lamont. That book, Help, Thanks, Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've adopted that into my life. I mean, that is part of my, my daily daily gratitude list and daily prayer in the morning is help thanks wow i mean that just gets my day going i do that and again getting back to that this is what i feel this is what i want this is what i need this is what i'll do you know that to me is also meditative because it just helps me drill down and and and
2: focus so yeah the easiest way to do the meditation is just to check in with yourself like how how are you how am i feeling and I think that that was one of the things that really wanted me to have a meditation practice because, and I think it's very endemic with this disease of, of alcoholism. I was never in the moment. I was never in the moment. I was always so far in ahead or in the past. And, and I found it worked that I was like not really processing things in the moment. I would go home and I would have to unpack the day. Like, mm. what did this person say? And then why did they say that? And then what? And then it was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm just never, ever in the moment. And when I first started to try to be in the moment <laughs> and all these memories of all this stuff that had happened in the past, it was very bad. I had panic attacks when I first started trying to meditate, which is a huge disincentive to meditate. But now I think what I've learned over time is that I can sort of like, be systematically desensitizing myself to that stuff like even if it was bad in the sorry hitting the microphone here uh, even if it's bad in the moment like can I just sit with this feeling and it dissipates like the feelings don't last that long like you think they're Mm going to last forever like if I if I let this feeling next to me it's going to last for like 12 years and in fact it's probably you know like a minute and a half or something and um, over time, I've really been able to tolerate those feelings. And then I guess kind of like Kelly too. The other thing I think about is, you know, so Tara Brock has this, you know, rain thing, you know, recognize, accept, investigate, you know, like when, like, so the first thing is recognize, Oh, I'm having this feeling again. And then accept I'm having this feeling, not say, Oh, I got to get rid of this feeling. And then investigate to say, why, why am I having that feeling right now? Like, what is that feeling that I'm actually even having? Because a lot of times my first response is, oh, it's bad, it's about the other person, something bad's happening, whatever, and it can be just to get curious about that. And then the last step is N, nurture, and, and it's just the idea of, like, you can nurture yourself like, oh, of course that would be upsetting to you, given some of the things that have happened. I've just found that to be so helpful to me, I think, in Al Anon. And I'm just so grateful um to have come into Al Anon to get that feeling, to get to that place with my own feelings, that I can tolerate my own feelings, that they don't last forever, um, that they come and go, kinda like the weather. I you know, I'm struck now because it was very dark when we got here yesterday. We couldn't really see much of anything. And one of the things that my meditation one of I go to another meditation group and they she always says like leave all your worries and everything. Like she has a dining room table. She wants you to leave your phone and your keys and all your stuff over there. And she's like, you can leave all your worries over there. And then the last time I went, I was sitting there and I thought, why can't I just leave them there all the time? (laughs) Like I could just leave them there all the time. (laughs) And it's, I think of like meditation is like, like there's a good feeling and maybe this is also like a higher power. It's sort of like when it's bad weather like when you get into a plane and you go above the, when you, at, after takeoff and you get up into the cloud, uh, beyond the clouds, like it's always sunny up there. And I think of that, like, like that exists all the time. Right? And we can plug into that. We can choose to plug into that sunniness and that warmth and that good thing. If we want to. Like, it's always there. It's always been there. It always will be there, at least hopefully, I guess, you know, if the climate change, There's whatever. There's some but
0: kind of airplane happening outside.
2: I know. So, like, just to, just to bring this around. I think it the beginning of
0: the game flyover or something.
2: <laughs> but that idea that it's always there and that we can make those choices. I mean, there are times when I can say to myself, like, oh, I'm making a choice not to, to plug into that good stuff that's out there. Like, what's that about?
0: I lived in Salt Lake City for a while. And... If you have maybe seen pictures or maybe been there, you probably think of Salt Lake City as this sunny, hot city in the middle of a desert, right? But in the winter, it's in a valley, and so they get inversions. And so it can be really gray and gloomy and maybe even foggy down in the valley where the city is. And if it lasts long enough, then you start to smell the oil refineries north of the city and all kinds of good stuff happens, right? But being surrounded by mountains, you can get on the highway and in 20 minutes, you can be up above the inversion in the sun with the bright blue sky. And my parents came out to visit once in the winter and my mother did not believe that that you could drive out of the cloud, basically. You could drive above the cloud. And, and then we did it, and she was, like, amazed. <laughs> like, so that was the image I had. Like, yeah, I mean, not only, I don't even, in that case, I didn't have to get on a plane. But I did have to move from where I was.
2: It's like we're a people that's been trudging around in the inversion. <laughs> yeah. And then the idea that there's another place you can go, that you can willingly choose to go to another place. It might be a little bit of work to get yourself there, but you can take steps to get yourself to the place that you want to be. That's shocking.
3: And I like the analogy, too, and I, I think I heard this on one of your shows, Spencer, is um, I feel like the Al-Anon is like a ladder, and when we're at the base of the ladder, we're just kind of in the mire, and um, as we do the steps and we start climbing that ladder, our point of view is totally different. These analogies are very helpful to me. In this program, I mean, it's. It, it, I never would have believed it before coming. I thought, you know, slogans were hokey. I thought these analogies, like, pfft, I'm, you know, that's never going to resonate with me. The woo woo, and here I am using all of it, and I feel immensely free and better. But that, you know, the the analogy of for me that just works every time too is just looking at life through a different lens and you know the higher i get up on the ladder the 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 more vista that i have and the more view that i have of the entire picture and not just my little singular look on life
0: yeah so i'm going to ask if there is some tool that maybe you had on your list that you brought with you or that that comes to your mind that we haven't talked about that is important in your recovery right now? I want to just leave that open.
3: I think for me, my sponsor is my number one, the biggest tool. I think that first coming to Al-Anon, I didn't know that there were people that didn't have sponsors or didn't work the steps. I just thought that that was, I know there's no must in al but I thought that was kind of a requirement. So I was kind of surprised, you know, after coming for a while that that wasn't necessary. You know, having a sponsor I think is just the most vital part of this program and and working the steps because you know it's their you know clear headedness it's their guidance it's theirs redirection it's suggestions you know things that I wouldn't think about and things that my my sponsor is always giving me different tools and my sponsor is always giving me different ways to look at things. I may at first you know be unwilling. But, you know, that's human nature. But in the end, you know, everything that my sponsor and I have worked together has all benefited me immensely. So I think for me, uh, having a sponsor uh, to work the steps has been number one.
0: Thanks.
1: I find that, yes, I chose very well with my sponsor in Al Anon. She's helped me immensely, really puts things in perspective for me. And one of the things that is still very, to me, feels very unattainable in Al Anon is that I can actually someday, hopefully, with the help of my sponsor and the tools of the program, is to be able to detach with love. Right now, I'm detached. From all of my qualifiers, I have not detached with love. And I'm hoping by working the steps and getting to that place that that's just going to be a better way to live my life and interact with the people in my life that are still active in their addiction. So I hate to say
2: the sponsor. <laughs> I, I, I do believe that having a sponsor has been life changing for me. Um, it was really important to me when I chose a sponsor that I get someone who had been through the 12 steps and had a lot of experience. And then I asked different people, you know, to be my sponsor, who I thought, you know, had been around for a long time anyway, and a number of them had, you know, oh, I'm stuck on this step, or I don't have a sponsor, I'm stuck on that step, whatever. And then I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said, like, how many people have actually done the 12 steps, like, in our community? And he said something really interesting to me. He said, what do you care and I said, well, what do, I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, how many people joined your health club last year? And I was like, oh, God, like probably thousands, you know. They have always these big membership drives, whatever. He said, well, how many of them are still going? And I was like, well, I don't know, like probably not that many. I mean, we actually kind of wait until they go away, you know, like I, yeah. I'm a
0: swimmer. So, January, man.
2: Yeah, so swimmers, and then you're like, oh, this is terrible. And then you're like, oh, they'll be gone in two weeks. Like, you know, they, they're they not going to last um, and they said, when well, how many of them are still going and how many of them have achieved their goals? And it was like, oh, and he said, Alan, is you get out of it what you put into it program. And like, and it has nothing to do with you. And so it's just been, that was very helpful to me. Um, but I, I, like I said, I felt, I really needed somebody. I felt I needed somebody who could answer my questions because I had a lot of doubts and a lot of skepticism when I came in. Um, I, the other thing, though, I will put in a, 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 a plug for is fellowship. Someone was talking about a meeting one time, he said he was think, talking to his wife and uh, he said I, he had been thinking about going to a meeting and she said, well, why don't you go? And, and he, said, he said, what do you mean? And she said, she said, well, like they love and accept you. And he, she, goes, she goes, you got too much of that in your life today, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I guess not. I'll see you later. <laughs> and I do think that there's, I see people sometimes who haven't been coming to Al-Anon for a long time and the idea of like, oh, I can't go to fellowship. Like, I have, I have errands I have to run. And, and now I actually feel like going to fellowship for me is a super important part of the program because I get to go and I get to laugh. I mean, I feel like that's the main thing for me about fellowship is just sharing with other people. And, and some of it's like those kind of stories, like, Oh, I, I don't have enough people to, you know, I have way too many people who love and care about me. And so I'm just going to avoid that for today. You know, it's crazy. I, th- I feel like in the way that we deprive ourselves of some of the joys of life, right? If you've been, if you've grown up in an alcoholic home, I think especially, but even if you're just in active alcoholism, it's a horrible disease and it's a horrible situation to have all of that uncertainty. And to me, you know, it's not, it's not just a cliche to say that we're, you know, all we're really promised is today. Right. And, and and now, and, and today, now, if I can go someplace and eat good food and laugh with people that who like me, like, why would I ever turn that down? Like, but it, I felt like it was somehow, I don't know, that whole idea of the list and the list driving you crazy of all the things you have to get done. I just, I just don't believe in the list anymore. I don't believe that it's necessary to get those things done. I believe, I, I try to place feeling good about myself in, in that same, you know, above the list or at least on the list above some of the other things that, you know, quote unquote, feel like you have to get done, whatever. So.
0: Thanks. Pat, do you have a favorite tool we haven't talked about?
1: Favorite tool? Oh, the readings. I love to do the readings. Um, And I do on my phone, listen or read uh, today's sharing. That always helps me. You know, I'll just randomly sometimes go through some of the daily readers and it might not be the, the current day and I'll just... Pick a day, and it seems to be spot on. It seems to be exactly what I need to uh, read at that time.
0: In this next section of the podcast, we talk probably briefly about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? And since I haven't been talking, I'll start and give you all a chance to think for a minute although I did already talk about acceptance and the refrigerator. Did I talk about the refrigerator earlier? I might have. But that might have been when the... It might have been. Yeah. So acceptance, we had been going for, I don't know, maybe like a half an hour or something when I suddenly realized I wasn't actually recording. Mm -hmm. There had been a little hardware glitch. The card that I record onto had been locked and so it wasn't recording. And so we actually had to start over. And so there was some I'm I'm really grateful to all of you who are like, okay, we'll start over. Because that could have been one of those, like, just kick myself down the road things, right? There was some acceptance. I think I mentioned our refrigerator, which which died. And we had to get a new refrigerator. And it was going to take a week for it to get shipped from Chicago to come to our house. And it came yesterday. And it's not exactly what we wanted we thought we were getting a feature that's not in the fridge. And it's a feature that we like. I might use the word important, but we definitely like it. And it's not there. And it's possible that, in fact, this refrigerator is not available with this feature, which would make me feel a little less stupid for not having noticed that I was ordering the wrong thing. So later today, I'm going to go talk to the folks at the appliance store and see if there is one available. We haven't like taken any of the tape off the shelves and stuff that they put on there so it doesn't rattle around while it's being shipped. It's still got some plastic film on the outside. So it doesn't quite feel like it's really ours yet. And hopefully I'll be able to resolve that question. And of course, if they are going to get us one that does have the feature, then we're going to have to live with that for a little while. So it's all about being okay with what we have. right? there's this Cheryl Crow song where she says something about Wanting what I have rather than not having what I want or something Um, kind of reminds me of that. Like, I just need to want what I have. It's a nice fridge, okay? Okay. (laughs) Other than that, I think I may have talked earlier on the show or maybe not about some personal conflict at work. Well, I'm involved, but mostly between other members of the team that I work with. And we've been Trying to do some things to help the members of the team get through this conflict situation. On Thursday, we went into a meeting where we were supposed to be talking about the agreements that we have with each other about how we work. And those are mostly kind of technical agreements, but what came out in the meeting was a whole bunch of feelings. One person started the conversation by saying that he felt really dismissed and devalued and that he was not being heard, he was not being listened to. And that just opened up this amazing conversation that I certainly didn't expect to happen with many of the members of the team talking about the ways in which they had felt not heard, dismissed. We did have an HR person in there. Coincidentally, we the, the HR person has been attending our, our team meetings since we got into conflict a couple of weeks ago, or since the conflict became visible, I guess more to the point. And she was very helpful in facilitating some of that conversation, but it mostly was the people in the team talking to each other. Since I was not directly involved in the situation that sort of sparked the, <laughs> the opening of the conversation, I used my program tool of listening. I think I mentioned this last night in the share in the meeting last night, that one of the things that, that I learned in Al-Anon that I did not do a good job of before I came to this program was being able to listen, to listen without response, to listen, maybe without judgment, or at least with minimal judgment, (laughs) Yeah, you're grinning. You know, you've been there, right? The The beginner lessons were just being in a meeting. All of the meetings that I attend, one person shares, everybody else is silent. We don't respond because all of the meetings I go to have a no crosstalk rule. Doesn't mean everybody always observes it because, you know, people are at different phases in their recovery, right? Different maturity in their recovery. But I learned in those meetings how to listen without spending all my time thinking about what I'm going to say back. I have a a practice frequently of sharing early in a meeting, because if I do that, then I know I'm not going to respond and I can listen better. And so practice, 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 you know, how many hundreds or how many meetings have I gone to in the last 17 years? If I went to two meetings a week For 17 years, like that's almost a thousand meetings, right? That's kind of amazing, actually, when I think about it that way. Okay. And so I was able to use those tools and I was able to use the tool of when I did speak, speaking from and of my own experience and my own feelings, not projecting. And when I, when I wanted to say, I hear you saying this, I can say it in that way. And again, those are, those are things that I learned by practicing in this program. I learned by seeing it happen in this program. I learned by hearing it from my sponsor. I learned it by being a sponsor. And so, yeah, I totally used a lot of my program tools in that meeting. And I, I felt I was able to respectfully say when we came to places where I had been in conflict, this is what I heard. This is what I felt. This is how I interpreted what you said. Rather than saying, you just totally shut me down. You weren't listening to me. I would say, I felt as if you weren't hearing what I was saying, or I felt as if you weren't accepting my truth as mine, even though it's not yours. Yeah, that was, that was really something and I think i I think I'll stop there. Uh, who'd like to go next? I will okay, thanks, Kelly.
3: I was really moved by the meeting that I attended last night. I think that the uh, actual topic was a tradition. We got off topic a little bit. It, it was interesting, and in, in a lot of the young people in the room were sharing a lot about the the pain and the conflicts that they were experiencing that week, or thinking about the upcoming holiday. It really resonated with me. It was kind of funny because what's that? What's that saying? And Alan, you spot it? You got it? Yeah. So. As each person was sharing, it really brought me back to, you know, the, uh, the early part of my recovery on how just, um, angry I was and, and, um, how I blamed other people and how I just really couldn't, you know, see my way of how I was going to make myself uh, heal or feel better. What resonated me with that, with that meeting last night was how, how much I need This program and how grateful I was to hear those stories again and how much compassion that I had for those people sharing those, those intimate stories and how lucky I was to be at, you know, one time sitting around a group of people who were able to listen to me too. And how, you know, grateful that I am that I have the recovery that I have today. So it's always, you know, it's always amazing to me how much that I get out of shares meetings. and meetings. And I may walk away in the beginning thinking that, oh, this meeting went this way. And then the more I think about it, the more it, I realize that how much it resonated with me personally. So I was uh, very grateful to be part of that meeting yesterday.
0: Okay.
1: Pat? From going to a number of meetings I, I typically get a message and I don't always hear it the first time, but when I hear it like the third time, <laughs> start to oh, maybe this is a message. So for me it's been staying in my own lane. That's what I'm hearing a lot of this week. And somebody had mentioned earlier in our in our car conversation when we were lost about how my son isn't gonna get his recovery ideas from me even though I think I have all the answers for him in his recovery and how to work his program if he chooses to do so. But he's going to hear it from other people. And I just have to trust that if I stay in my lane and take care of myself, then things are going to unfold the way that they should unfold, not the way that I really want them to unfold. So that's the message I got this
0: Thank you. How about uh, you, Mary
1: Lou? I actually wanted to
2: bring up another tool that I was thinking about And that was when I first came into Al Anon. I think in the first, I don't know how many years, but I, I've probably been to a hundred open AA meetings and it was definitely an important part of my program because I had no compassion for alcoholics when I came into the program. Well, first of all, just meeting double winners and I realized like, oh, I, you know, I could hear their story in a, in a, in a new open way. I guess when you were talking about listening. I didn't have any preconceived ideas about them. And I would leave meetings sometimes thinking, oh, like I didn't hate them. Even <laughs> if I hated my own alcoholic or hated, you know, whatever. And so I could listen to them and I could think like, oh, like I, maybe if I was in that situation, maybe that, uh, maybe I would have, that would have seemed like a good idea to me too, to pick up a drink to kind of solve the problem. Right. And then I started going to a lot of open AA meetings for a while and I, well, first of all, it, it was helpful to me that I never sing, ever, ever heard the story. My family sent me to an intervention and then I, you know, went to rehab and now I'm fine. Wee hee. You know, I never heard that story once. I don't know. There was just something around being around alcoholics that were trying to be honest that was just very, I still find it kind of like refreshing. Uh, no one in my family has ever, you know, who was an alcoholic ever got recovery. So I find that helpful to me to kind of go to that place to see that there is a place where people are trying to do that. And it gave me a lot more humility and I, and and compassion, I think, for other people that I did not have. I just could not see that it was a disease when I came into Al-Anon, because I thought, well, if you stop drinking, then, you don't, then you're not an alcoholic anymore. And then, you know, why are they acting like this? I just couldn't get it. And obviously, I don't have the problem, and so I couldn't understand that. But now I... I don't know. Now I think of it as like the opposite side of the same coin. You know, someone described to me, it's kind of like if you're an alcoholic, like there's a problem. And then you think, oh, I'll have a drink to solve that problem. And then I could see myself, you know, th- there's a thing that happens when you're around alcoholism, which is the alcoholic starts to drink. And then, y- you know, you as a non-alcoholic thinks like, oh, my God, I know exactly how this is going to end. Like, this is, like, nothing good's ever going to happen not from here on in. Like, the train's heading for the wall, and I, I've got to get out there with my bare hands and kind of stop it. And someone said to me in a meeting one time, if, if, if you were to ask the alcoholic in the end stages, like, what is the percent likelihood that this is actually going to work? Like, you're going to take a drink and then the problem's going to be solved. You know, they might say it's, it's 0% likelihood that it's going to work, but that's all, I, that's all I know how to do. And I think that's true for me. Like controlling the situation was all I knew how to do. Even after it had way stopped working, I just had to do it over and over and over again until I got sick and tired of doing that. And then decided, okay, maybe I could try something different. And and so coming to Alanon has given me hope in a way that I just couldn't see. And I, so I I agree with Kelly. I think that seeing those people at that meeting last night who were kind of you know early in their recovery, it's 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 really. It's like having a mirror put up to you to see, like, oh, that's how I felt. Like, I I could see no end. I could see no hope. I couldn't see what the point was. And I feel so differently now. It's really it's really shocking to me how differently I feel about that. So I attribute all of that to Alanon.
0: hmm One of the interesting things, I don't know, interesting is not the word I want to hear. One of the things that I saw in several of those angry shares last night was, an awareness that i think comes from being in recovery an awareness that this is what i'm feeling and maybe i don't really want to be feeling this but i don't know how not to and you know that's the beginning of right awareness acceptance action right in at least one of them you know some also visibility or expression of how that was changing for for that person who shared So, yeah, even though they were off-topic, they were valuable, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I got a suggestion from a listener to uh, do an episode tentatively titled Your Holiday Toolkit. Mm -hmm. This is something that comes around, you know, every year. I've done a couple of them over the past six years, I think, and maybe it's time to do it again. So, I'm putting it out to you who's listening If you have a favorite tool that you use around the holidays, you know, maybe you're going to visit your relatives and and you know that there's going to be drama and you have something that you use to help you maybe not get caught up in the drama, maybe stay serene even though the drama is happening. Or what preparations do you make to survive the holidays or enjoy the holidays with or without your family? I think one person last night said, I'm not going home for Thanksgiving. I'm just not going. I can't do it. Uh, You know, what mental, emotional, spiritual, physical preparations do you make? What do you bring with you? Do you go to extra meetings? What readings help you to do more than just survive? Maybe enjoy? We welcome your thoughts. We welcome your experience, strength, and hope. Please join our conversation. Leave a voicemail or send us an email. And Kelly, how can people do that?
3: Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can email feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of tools of the program or any of our upcoming topics, including your holiday toolkit. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know.
0: And actually there's one other call for contributions that I'm, I'm putting out there, which is every year around Thanksgiving, I will do a, a gratitude episode because, Hey, Thanksgiving. Um, so if you want to briefly share something you're grateful for today, this year to be included in that episode. We've got what, two weeks, less than two weeks till Thanksgiving. So you know, and if it's after Thanksgiving, you can still send in gratitude and I'll still share it. Our website is therecovery.show where we have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the books that we read from that we talked about. I'll try to get links to the meditation apps that were mentioned. Also there's some links to other recovery websites and podcasts that that we like i to take a short break before we look at your feedback.
2: Every year before the holidays, I recommend that all the women that I sponsor actually listen to the three podcasts on your website that deal with expectations. Because I feel it's, it's super important to be aware of our own expectations and to own them and to realize that every single person who's coming to a holiday event has their own expectations. Sometimes I think of it like a mathematical problem that the likelihood that every person's going to get their needs met is not high. It's just kind of like a no kidding. But but I think it's important for me to list to know what my own expectations are when I go into the holiday, so that I can kind of t- t- you know turn that down a little bit, just kind of let go of it a little bit, and and let other people. Have their own expectations.
0: Well, I will try to find those episodes and, and make links to them in the, in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 308. Any episode that we might mention by number, you can get there by going to therecovery.show slash that number. We have a voicemail here that I'm going to play.
4: Hi, Spencer. This is Fiorella. I sent you an email once and thank you for um, giving so feedback on my email, one of your shows. I just finished listening to the R&J um, talk, which was exactly what I needed to hear. It's been a crazy year and a half for me and my boyfriend, who's my loved one, with alcoholism. And it's just been in and out of rehab, detoxes, and all the fun stuff that I'm pretty sure of most most people can identify with. If it wasn't for your show, as a matter of fact, your show was the first thing that I started listening to before even starting going to meetings. Thank you for for the talk of our, Jake. You know, he talks so much about surrender and that's exactly what I needed to hear yesterday. I feel like because... My loved one was in rehab and, you know, then I felt like, you know, applying the program was so much easier when, when he was doing what he's supposed to be doing. And now, after five months of being sober, he relaxed and three crazy weeks, I think this is exactly when I need to apply the program the most, surrendering and accepting the things that I cannot change, like... Him, you know, and, and just not knowing what's gonna happen—is he gonna go back to rehab again? Is this gonna get worse? It's not gonna get worse. It's—it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But yesterday I was able to share in a meeting. I never cried in a meeting before, and I yesterday I did. And and I and I talk about surrendering and how important is it to let go and let God. I, I felt like before I said it. You know, I was letting go on like that, but I know that my, my loved one wasn't at treatment center, so I was fine and I was so much easier to apply the program. But now that I know that he's home and, you know, he clearly relapsed, so it's so much harder to surrender to that idea and accept the fact that he might not never find recovery or that he may find or accept the fact that Thank you. Thank you for creating this space where we can meet in between meetings and express how we feel. And maybe by me saying this, you know, I can help others identify and and to know that there's there's hope. Thank you so much, and um, I'm always looking forward to listening to every episode every week on my way to work. Uh, Bye-bye. Friends from New Jersey. Have a good one.
0: Thank you for sharing that experience. I totally identify with that when my wife was in her long-term treatment, her first long-term treatment, that, you know, it was easy to start to feel the, the program, the recovery working in me. You know, life just felt a whole lot better. She came home, she was sober for a while, and... I know in AA they talk about this pink cloud phenomenon, and man, I was on that pink cloud so much that I totally missed some of the signs of relapse until it smacked me in the face. At that point, I did have some alanon, and that really helped me to be not as knocked down by the relapse as I would have been, um, and so. I know you're coming. Keep coming back because it worked for me. Hopefully it will work for you too. She mentioned Aaron Jay's talk, which our next feedback also uh, talks about. Uh, Pat, you going to read that for us?
1: Sure. I really enjoyed this episode. Aaron's share gave me something to consider further in regards to step six. We're entirely ready for God to remove these defects of character. They aren't automatically removed. I must step out in faith and take the next action. Once I do, then I will see the progress in regards to my character defects. It's a process, and I am willing to participate. I can't just expect that God will do all the work for me. I have heard the step often and worked it, but something deeper clicked with me when I heard the share. Thank you so much for your continued service to Al-Anon through the podcast. It has helped me immensely over the past two years of listening. I share it with other members of all Al-Anon when I get the opportunity. So what do you think about
0: that uh, That insight on Step 6?
2: When I first came into Al-Anon and people would talk about the removals of uh, character defects, I thought of it as kind of like that operation game, <laughs> you know, where you would sort of like lay there and kind of like have like these little tweezers that kind of surgically removed these things. But if you've seen Grey's Anatomy, you know, like, you open people up and there's, like, all this gunk and they, like, all your body parts, like, don't stay in their right places. And there's, like, all this, you know, whatever, blood and fluid and all this kind of gunk. And so I think that the idea of having the character defects, you know, completely removed, I'm not even sure if I aspire to that. Like, I think of it as just can I accept the character defects that I have and then... Do something different with them than I've done in the past. And so part of that is growing the opposite. You know, like if I have n- no faith to try to focus on what are some things that I could have faith in, even if they're pretty, they seem pretty small to me so that I'm a little more balanced on that particular topic. So it's not just total imbalance because I think that then the character defect can kind of be more right sized. It do, it's not like it's this glaring, like, skyscraper of a problem if it's being balanced by its opposite. I mean, that's the thing that's interesting about Al Anon, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I certainly didn't come to have any part of myself fixed. I really didn't. And so the idea now when you think about, when I think about Al Anon is, especially when you think about the last person, she's talking all about her loved one and his relapse and what he's doing and what's going to happen with him. I feel like the, the the message of Al-Anon is it's not about them. It's about me. So I'm the one who gets the choice. Now that I can see my character defects, which are in full sight of me now, I get the choice to do something about them. In, in all these different situations that keep coming up, and and all they are is invitations, right? We just get invited to take a look at our character defect that's causing me problems in my day-to-day life, that's what a character defect is. It's not some like horrible stain on your soul or something. It's just something that I'm doing that's making it harder for me to be able to, you know, feel the, 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 you know, the power of, you know, the higher power or the, you know, the good things in the, in life and in, in the universe. And then, and then what can I do to try to focus on those things? So yeah, I don't think it's, it's just, I mean, I do think that there's an element of it. That's kind of like leaving that up to your higher power. It's a little frustrating to me in meetings when people say, "Well, I can't do anything about my g- character defects. It's all up to God." And I think um, that whole idea of like, there's there's steps that we can take to do to deal with those things. Like, what what am I doing? What am I actively doing? You know, when we talk about the, the you know, the the three C's or four C's, whatever, we didn't cause it. We can't we can't control it. We can't cure it, uh, but we do have choices. And and then one thing that somebody started saying lately in meetings, but we don't have to contribute, right? We don't have to contribute to the drama. And so so I have to sit with, like, in what way do I or would I like to contribute to the drama? And then what could I do instead? And what could I focus on in myself? Because I don't think, this is just one of the things I've come to an Alan on is I don't ever think it's about the other person. Like, it seems like the message gets delivered to me and that person should stop eating ice cream or, <laughs> or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, right? That person shouldn't be doing whatever it is that they're doing. But the reality is that I'm the only, it's my life that's not going the way I want it to. And then what do I have to do to make it go better for me? And, and so if I can just sit with the idea that when I see something in someone else, it's really a message to me from my higher power that there's something that I need and that I don't know what that is, but if I can sit with it and accept it, it, it will come to me. It's not like some big, you know, thing usually. It's, and, and that I can, if I can accept that thing, and then I can, I can start to try to change it. I can look at tools of the program. I can look at other people. I can listen to other people, how other people have dealt with the situation. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, there's so much wisdom that's out there from other people who have dealt with that situation, and I can try those things on and see if I can get a different response than the one that I know exactly how to get and, and that I've gotten every other time that I've gone after it in that old, same old way.
3: You know, when my son was in uh, his long-term treatment program, his his counselor said something to my husband and I about, Alex has been given a new pair of shoes to put on. And it's up to him to walk in those shoes. And I look at that as, for me, was a direct connection to step six is that, you know, before Alana anon I had these really comfy shoes on. You know, it's hard to take off those really comf- comfy, comfy, warmy shoes. And, and I've, step six for me is the opportunity to put on those new shoes and try them out and walk around. And, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to put on them old slippers again, you know, in order for me to, let go of these character defects i have to keep those shoes on that to me is a re- nice reminder every day of you know sometimes i'm going to have the slippers on and that's and that's going to let me look at that and and boy but those new shoes feel good too
0: i love the shoe analogy because i will wear a pair of shoes till you know the the bottoms are slick and uh, they may maybe starting to get some holes in them And then I buy a new pair of shoes and they're really nice, but man, they're not comfortable. They, you know, I have this, I have this pair of shoes that I bought a couple of years ago for the winter that like they have Gore-Tex and they're waterproof, which since I sometimes I'm walking to work, I'm almost always walking on icy or, or snowy or wet sidewalks. That was something I really wanted as a feature. They're still not the most comfortable shoes, but they really do the job for me, right? (laughs) Had any thoughts on step six
1: here? Well, yeah, I I have to be ready and willing to work this step, and I can't expect my character defects to just be gone. You know, I do have to do the footwork. I think that's important that I have to do my share of the work on this step. Yeah, so right now I just finished my fifth step, so I'm on the sixth step. So I'm going to be learning a lot about this step over the next couple of months.
0: Okay, all right. Oh, we have another voicemail here from Kelly.
1: Hi there. This
5: is Kelly. I'm calling from California. And I just listened to episode 203 uh, about adult children with alcoholics. And I I wasn't really familiar with the program at all. But I listened to the laundry list and was really struck by how many boxes I checked (laughs) and uh, how many boxes my mom checked. I guess my question for it is checking all the boxes as far as choosing a partner that's some kind of holic, like a workaholic or or alcoholic or or food addict or constantly taking responsibility for things I shouldn't for avoiding confrontation at all costs, you know, things like that really jumped out at me. And I guess my question now is, you know, when you, realize that you've chosen a partner who exhibits unhealthy habits as a result of your own illness, what's the best thing to do? Because I, you know, I love my boyfriend very much and he is a workaholic and there are things about him that probably I unknowingly sought out because of my history. And I guess my question is, how do I continue that relationship without promoting such unhealthy habits? Or have I made a terrible decision choosing that person based off of my laundry list? Because when you love somebody that much, it doesn't, you know, I want to do everything I can. So anyway, that's my question. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Okay. I'm going to say, well, I don't know what's the best thing for you to do. Absolutely. Don't know. I think that working a recovery program gives me the tools to understand what's the right thing for me to do. You know, in my case, after two fairly intense years in Al-Anon, I was able to say, yes, I will stay with this person who I still love, who is still drinking, because, one, I want to stay with her. I know she's still there, despite what the disease has done. And two, I can because I now have tools to be able to. So I'm going to turn it over to Kelly, Pat, and Mary Lou to see what you might have to share.
3: I think for me that what has worked for me is that first I had to understand the disease. I also loved my loved ones who are alcoholics. I don't love the disease. I love them. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't get to really differentiate and separate that until I came into program because then I could detach and not amputate. And that was my kind of what I did in my life was I amputated those people. Coming to program has really helped me know what's my responsibility and what's not. Look at the alcoholics in my life with a greater sense of compassion, myself with compassion and really, you know, I you know, again, detachment. Don't even think about changing him. You know, I have to change myself. Right?
0: right? <laughs> Detached. don't even think don't about e- changing him. Right.
3: Right? Okay. Yeah. So or her. him or, or her. her, right? <laughs> or her. Him or yeah. her. Yeah. For me it's him. Ah, uh, that's something that's I have to think about all the time and what's my responsibility and what's not. And and some days are easier than others, but because I'm in the program and, you know, that's what's helped me.
2: All right. For me, I think that I could have checked uh, that lawn, whatever she called the laundry list or whatever. I think what's different now is that I'm way more aware of those things. I think that in the beginning, I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure, if, I don't know if this is too critical, self-critical, but it's it's like the idea like there are certain things that are very familiar and then you become attracted to things that see, that are familiar, right? It's almost like they talk about like, like dogs can smell it on you, you know, like they don't even have to speak, right? And they can sort of tell like who's going to be like, oh, you poor puppy, you or whatever. I think that there were certain things that I was predisposed to because they were very familiar to me. Um, whether or not I actually like them, and, and now that I'm older and more mature, I think some of them I don't like uh, as much, it, it turns out, as I've looked at them. But I have to say, and I say this to people sometimes, like, there's something on the front end about that that looked really good. And then that's the question is, what about that look good on the front end? That doesn't, you know, uh, lock you into an outcome, right? It's still, but I think that it's super helpful to be aware of, if, in other words, if, if a person, I'll just pick myself. I don't have to pick on the the person who called in, like, if I, if I picked a relationship with somebody because I thought, oh, I could fix, like, I could fix them. I know how to take care of this, you know. I don't think that's a good, you know, plan for a relationship. And I wouldn't want to be picked mm-hmm. for a relationship because someone was like, oh, I could figure out a way to, a good way to fix her, right? So I think that that idea, so, so, so to not be aware of that, that's like the, the Nemo thing where the guys, the big fish is talking to the two little fish and he says, you know, how, how's the water? And the fish are looking at each other like water, what's water? Like, and I think, <laughs> and I think that's how I thought of those, those things about myself. Like I didn't even see them. Like other people could see them because they were attracted to them, like, you know, dogs or whatever, but I, I didn't even know that they were there. And now that I'm aware of them, I have to pay attention to that. And I don't really want to have to be, re- I'm very clear in my own mind. I don't want to be responsible for fixing another person and I don't want someone who's going to try to fix me. But then taking that further of like being with someone and not fixing them, if you can see these things, I think that part seems very hard to me. I'm not really sure what the answer to that is. It is hard.
1: You know, I am attracted to other alcoholics and other, you know, workaholics. I think I feel a certain comfort level being around other alcoholics and addicts. What I learned from having my brother who was suffering from addiction and had a terminal illness, he came to live with us and he lived with us for two and a half years. I realized that that was a situation for me that was pretty much unbearable and that and that's how I got into Al-Anon to begin with. And so what I learned from that experience Is I can't live in the chaos. And that's just for me. I my home is my sanctuary, and I can't live with the active addiction. We tried that with our son, it didn't work. He's no longer at this point allowed in our home. That just didn't work for me. But I also think I try to keep a gratitude list and I try to think about the things that I'm grateful for in my life. And I have a lot of addicts and alcoholics in my life. And I try to look at their good qualities and not just the addiction. But again, for me, that's just my personal choice. It's hard for me to live in the chaos.
2: I had a very interesting experience. One time I had gone to the pharmacy. I have an unusual last name and the uh, person who was waiting on me, and she said, Oh, are you the mother of, and then she named my son. And I said, Yeah. thinking like with my holding my breath, (laughs) not knowing what was going to come next. And she said, oh, I just love him. She said, he's such a wonderful guy. And then she went on to describe a number of things that my son had done to help her boyfriend. And I feel like I could cry now just saying it because there are these good things about my son that when I'm like crazy, like I can't see them. It was a real wake-up call for me to go to the pharmacy and have somebody tell me that my son is a nice guy.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. The other thought that I had here is that, you know, the laundry list, the inventory that we do in in Step 4 are tools for me to understand myself to maybe understand how I got to where I am and to give me a way to maybe not do the things that I did that I don't want to do again. And that's separate from where I am. You know, I got here. Yeah, I got here because of character defects. I got here because I consciously or unconsciously picked people that I could fix. I recognize that pattern throughout my life. That doesn't change the fact that I'm in a long-term relationship with somebody that I love who, you know, has a disease that caused her to behave in ways that, that I didn't like. If I can separate those two things from each other, I think it's easier to think about how I deal with each of them separately than as a, well... Because I picked this person because of these character defects, because of these things on the laundry list, which I swear I could have checked off about 12 or 14 of them myself. If I think about, well, I'm in this relationship because of this, this way that I acted in the past, the way that I felt in the past, that doesn't change the fact that I'm in the relationship. And I have to deal with the fact that I'm in the relationship. I have to deal with what's happening now. Now, maybe that's helpful uh, for you, Kelly, uh, our caller, or or not. I don't know.
2: The other thing about that is that alcoholism is a gene- disease of denial, right? And so I think that there is this idea that when someone tells you who they are, to just go like, ha, 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 I can take care of <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> I have my. enough of X for both of us. Oh you know, I don't know if it's Dr. Phil or whoever says, like people will tell you within 10 minutes of meeting them who they are, and you should believe that If they tell you who they are, and they're like, you know, I'm I'm a workaholic, and I'm never going to spend any time with you or your, you know, if we ever have, you know, children or you know, your family or any of that other kind of stuff. I, I would say, I mean, Spencer's not going to tell you what to do. I would say go running in the opposite direction, <laughs> only because they've already told you, you know, that that, that there's nothing that's ever going to get between and their, you know, the thing between them and the thing that they're addicted to. And if you, if you think, oh, I can change them like there's a long line of people who are in al who can tell you probably not. So Yeah,
0: probably not. Well, I want to thank the three of you for making the, the trip. And I know this was not the only reason you made the trip, but thank you for, for coming. Thank you for joining me in the studio today.
1: Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Spencer. Great. Thanks for having us.